0: Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives, that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. I hope that you're, you're good this morning uh, on this Mother's Day and you're treating your mothers and your life well. Uh, would you grab your Bibles? We're going to continue in this series called Exile. Uh, we planned this well before this whole thing happened, before the coronavirus caused us all to be self-quarantined um, or self di- social distancing. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, so we're in this season, though. And we are looking at Isaiah chapter 56 today. Would you turn your Bibles there? There's so much in this chapter that I can't do the whole thing justice today. I, I, I can't do it as much as I would like to. But there are some points that I, I, I know will challenge our hearts and stir us. And I, I hope to, to bring some wisdom and clarity to you in that. So go ahead real quick as you grab your Bibles. You can also say hi to somebody. Uh, welcome one another say hi to your mom if you want whatever give your shout shout outs uh let's do that before we jump in and then as i preach if there's something that stirs you that you think hey this is a good a good word something to remember go ahead and, and highlight that put a little fire emoji whatever you want to do it's fine but I, i'm glad that you're with us oh well, before we get into the text uh disclaimer i know last week facebook across the board had a hard time putting out our messages uh started chopping halfway through tim's sermon last week and so some of you had a hard time d- worshiping at the end if that happens again today it's not on our end i don't think so uh last week those church-wide a lot of different churches were having that issue and we will rebroadcast this service tonight that way if it messes up on you today you can watch it tonight again without any issues so hopefully that helps um Go ahead and, and, like I said, go to Isaiah chapter 56. I'm going to read some of this this morning. Uh, we're going to look at the first nine verses today. And as I said before, it's a good reminder to, to, to know that this is a prophetic declaration from the prophet isaiah to god's people who are in the midst of exile we see the first half of the book is a declaration that they will be in exile because of their hard hearts god is going to put them in a season of discomfort to remind them of his presence to remind him of his love Uh, and because sin has its own repercussions sin has its wages the wages of sin is death and so they have separated themselves from god uh, even though they're his people and then Then the prophet Isaiah begins to look forward, declaring these messianic promises about Jesus and about this day after exile and a hope for God's people and for the world. And that's what we're looking at this morning, really continued in Isaiah chapter 56. It's an awesome awesome passage. And let's, let's read starting in verse one. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep the Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and, and does not profane it and who holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain to make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. For the Lord God who who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet an others to him besides those who already gather. This is a wild passage, and it's really. Revolutionary and transformative to the people of that culture who are hearing these prophetic declarations from the prophet Isaiah. It doesn't make any sense to them. And let me, we're going to walk through this. I I don't know about you, but um, in my house, I hear the phrase, it's not fair a lot. And what they really mean when my kids say it's not fair is like, I didn't like what I got out of that. That deal wasn't good for me. Uh, It it didn't work out. I didn't get the biggest piece of. uh, cookie I didn't get the the biggest prize I didn't get to have as much fun I didn't get to do this and really when we talk about uh it's not fair we are people who tend to think like it's not fair for me I should have got more when when we think of the word the beginning of that that uh, declaration, thus says the Lord, keep justice. When we think about justice, typically we are really thinking about getting what we deserve, our just deserves, what we what's just for us. And scripture would say that that's not justice at all, actually. Justice is not something that you get. Justice is something, it's a lifestyle that you keep. The word there, I looked it up in, in the, uh, the Hebrew, it's this word mishpat i not. I don't. I don't know all the. If I'm pronouncing that exactly right, but mishpat. This word is justice. And when I look through that word over and over and over again in the Old Testament, it's like 125 times, I think. You see that that word is used always for people keeping justice in their actions toward others, to the widows, the orphans, the oppressed, those marginalized, those cast out, those hurt and abused, those victimized by society, by the wealthy. It's those who have been oppressed. The people of God keep justice by doing what's right to them. It's never about what I get for myself. It's not about me receiving justice. It's about me keeping justice in my lifestyle. It's about doing what's right for the community around me. The only time that we see a different view of justice, this word mishpat in the Old Testament, is when Job is afflicted, even though he hasn't done anything wrong, and his friends are surrounding him, telling him, hey, you really probably did something wrong. And jo- Job is sitting there crying out for justice to God because he thinks that God should give him some better life because he is so right. And finally, we know, if we know the end of the story of Job, God shows up and is like, hey, Job, who are you to even question me right now? Like, you didn't do anything wrong, but who are you to question what's happening to you? the only time we see justice looking at ourselves that i could find in the old testament was when job is sitting in sadness and he's got boils and he's lost everything he's thinking i don't deserve something i don't deserve this justice is a way of life that we live out toward others it says we we keep justice we, scripture says that you and I get to keep this as a mode of operation, as a way of life, we keep justice. In this great book by Timothy Keller called Generous Justice, How God's Grace Makes Us Just, um, it says this. If you want a copy of this, we have one more for free here at the church, so uh, just go ahead and comment. If you're going to read it, uh, you can have it we'll get it to you this week. But here's here's what he says. Justice is not just one more thing that needs to be added to people's portfolio of religious behavior. A lack of justice is a sign that the worshiper's heart are not right with God at all, that their prayers are all, and all their religious observance are just filled with self and pride. See, justice is is a sign, it's a display that we are in God's presence and we are living not for ourselves, but for him and those around us, for, for the people in our community and for the God that we serve. That's, that's what justice is. It's, it's not a self-righteousness. It's not a I deserve this because I'm just. It's because I keep justice, I give these things, I, I watch for these things. It's a way of life that I live. And the same thing with the word righteousness. It's this sadaka in Hebrew. I probably am not pronouncing that right either. But once again, it's this life governed by a set of expectations. It's a rule of life. It's a communal loyalty, one commentary says. Living for the well-being of those around you. Righteousness, we tend to think of righteousness as like, hey, I've got everything right, so I'm righteous. I've done everything perfect, that I'm not messed up, so I'm righteous. When scripturally, the word righteousness is that we have kept the rule of life that God has given us and that the community around us gives us for the well-being of his glory, his name, and for those around us. So we keep righteousness, or we keep justice in our hearts, we hold on to it, and we do righteousness. Righteousness isn't just something that God has declared us, which is absolutely true. God has declared us righteous through the blood of Christ. But it's not just something we keep for ourselves. Righteousness is something we do to those around us. It's a action. It's a behavior. It's it's a response to God's grace. So when my kids are squabbling, or even in my own relationships, when I'm When I'm frustrated by something, righteousness and justice, it's a lifestyle to love, to honor, to seek their well-being, to make sure that nobody's being victimized or oppressed. It's not about me, it's about them. I, I hope that helps you this morning. And this is deeply, like Keller says, this is deeply connected to our worship. If you look in that Isaiah over and over again, the very first thing that he says, blessed is the man who does this, talking about keeping justice and doing righteous. The son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it. He keeps his hand from doing any evil. Over and over again throughout this chapter, we see men who are called to keep the Sabbath. This Sabbath represents a lifestyle of devotion and trust to the Lord. It's a lifestyle of worship. See, they're in exile. This is a really interesting thing, especially with with where we are right now. Um, in our current crazy time here they are in exile and they're still called to keep the sabbath even though the temple doesn't exist the temple's destroyed and it's being it's in the process of being rebuilt and i kind of some, in some ways i feel like that's true with the church like our temples our buildings our gathering places they don't really exist right now i mean they do in some places but but for us we feel really in a sense of exile but yet, they still get to be a people that keep the Sabbath in that time. Sabbath is a place of trusting God. It's, it's a way of saying, I surrender as I worship. I'm setting aside this moment to worship God. I'm setting aside this time to worship him. And when we, God's people, keep justice, do righteousness, hold to the Sabbath, that place of worship, it's something that's so attractional that those from the outside want to gather in. And here's where this passage gets really weird. Um, And if you like puns, there's a pretty wild pun in here. It says, let not the foreigner think that God will reject them. That's what it basically says in verse 3. We don't want foreigners. So these are people who are not Israelites, who are not a part of God's covenant people at this time. This says that he will let them come in, and let not the eunuch, this is verse 3, let not the eunuch say that I am a dry tree. Okay? I don't know if you need to Google eunuch. But these are people who cannot reproduce, men who cannot reproduce at all. They're they're dry. They can't do anything. They're actually set aside either in some form of slavery or in some form of other worship to other people, to other masters, to other gods. And here Isaiah says, if the eunuch wants to worship the Lord, don't let the eunuch feel like his life is wasted that he's got no offspring, that he's producing nothing. It says, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who worship me, and they choose to do the things that I love. I will give them a house that's and a monument and a name bigger than any legacy with kids, any offspring. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Pun fully intended right there. So go ahead, giggle. Please no emojis for that. Um, complete. He, he's, he, the, the Isaiah, Isaiah is giving a clear picture that these even the eunuchs who have been cut off from worship, they're not allowed in. The, Isaiah is saying they're welcome back into a place of worship to the foreigners who, who are not a part of God's people. God's saying they are allowed to be a part of his people. They keep the, they keep the Sabbath. They will be brought into a place of worship Verse 7, their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. This is not God's chosen offspring. This is not the people of Abraham. These are people who are of other gods, other nationalities who have not been bought by the blood of Christ, but because their hearts have been transformed and they want to go after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God says, bring them on in. Let their their offerings be accepted. And here's what it says, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. If that verse sounds familiar, it's because we know it from Mark. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to, to mark chapter 11 it says this this is jesus he's made his way into the city this is his final week right he's made his way into the city and he says this they came to jerusalem and they entered the temple so the temple's been rebuilt right and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and, and seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Verse 17, and he was teaching them and saying to them. So Jesus isn't just flipping temples, screaming to the top of his lungs. He's teaching them something. He's giving them an impartation of the heart of the Father in this moment. It is not Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking for a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching and when evening came, they went out of the city. The religious people were ticked off because Jesus comes into this temple and we know the story. We see this Jesus flipping these tables and sending out those who are selling animals for sacrifice. And he says, you've turned this place into a place of robbery when God has declared that this is a place for others to come in and worship me. See, what you need to understand at the temple, at this, this passage, this incident takes place in what's called the outer courts. The temple was made up of four separate spaces, the outer courts for anybody from any nation, from any people group to come in and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the the God of Israel, the one true God. All the world was invited into that space and then you had another space for jewish men and women and then you had another space for, for purified men who were jewish and then you had another space for only the priest so this this way of funneling in deeper and deeper in worship more and more to what that culture viewed as holy and god creates this space for all the people to worship and what the israel what the jewish people are doing in that space is not worship they're setting up distractions for their own pockets to be full for to fill the economy of worship in that moment they're distracting other nations from a place of worship. And Jesus is full of this righteous anger. Scripture says that you can be angry and sin not. Jesus wasn't angry to a place where he lost his mind and was unpeaceful. And he, he could have brought down all the fires of heaven, right? He could have done that. He could have destroyed these Pharisees and these religious people, but he didn't. What he did is he intervened in the moment so they could stop. And he taught them a lesson. This space, God's heart, is so that all people can worship together. Isn't that wild? To today, I, I would say that 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 God's heart is still the same. Even though we might feel exiled, we might feel frustrated, us who are in Christ, who are God's people, should be looking to keep. Justice, to do righteousness, and to invite all those who are outcast and marginalized and oppressed into a space of worship, into a a heart of seeing God as who He is, as a covenant keeping God who has reached out to the Gentiles, who's extended Himself to bring us all in. It's a house of prayer, it's a house of Sabbath that we take a break from all of our productivity, all of the idols in our lives, all the, the things that we run after, and we say, no, this is a moment for the Lord, a place of worship. This is a Sabbath, and I'm going to keep justice. I'm going to do righteousness. He removes all these attempts. Today, I would say that we still tend to be people with an us-versus-them mentality, that there are still people that, even though most of us in, in the American church our Gentiles who have been brought in through the blood of Christ, that that we've been redeemed through him, we've been grafted in, Scripture says. We still look at people who are different than us and we think that they can't be into this place of worship, that we can't worship with them or that we've somehow got a better picture, a better understanding, that that this place is more for us than it is for them. One of the great, one of the good books that I read years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, that really helped me think through do I do this in my own heart? It's a book called Under the Overpass. And it's a, gu- a couple of guys, Christian guys, who basically live homeless for a while. And they go church to church and city to city. And they see how the church interacts with them. And they smell and they're dirty. And they come in and the whole church moves away from them. And actually one usher tells them to leave. Thankfully, we see some, some really cool stories where the church reaches out to them and brings them in. And there's repentance and stuff as well. But do we do that in our own hearts today? Maybe it's not the homeless, because I think a lot of us are sympathetic with the homeless. But But maybe it's those who have really strong opinions on different things than we do. Maybe it's political opinions, maybe it's social opinions, May, maybe they have a different lifestyle, maybe they wear different clothing and they act a different way or they, they don't know how to act in public. I know a lot of people who have bad social skills. And what we do is we distance themselves and we, kind of, we, we don't say we're not inviting them to our place of worship and to our home group into our community into to our, our life of worshiping and honoring God, but we're really not loving on them. We're, we're putting up these little weird walls to keep them out because they're different, because I, I, I don't see them as life-giving. As, I see them as strange. They're like eunuchs and foreigners. And maybe those are the people that feel dried up and cut off. Maybe those are the ones saying, I don't think their God could truly love me because I know this sin in my life. I know this. My past. I know my present. I know the things that I'm walking through, and I don't think their God could love me because they've got it all together, and they've got their houses of worship. They've got their their things put together. They do their devotionals in the morning, and they they pray and they fast. And they feed the poor and they do all these things. I don't think I could worship with them if that is the the thing that we are putting out to the world. Then Scripture, the Isaiah, Isaiah's promise about this new kingdom, about a day after exile, is that we would be inviting them in that our actions our our justice and our righteousness would be a place of bringing them into a sabbath worship i hope this makes sense this morning we've got to drop the us versus them mentality this morning i want to i want to ask what does justice look like for us today what does righteousness look like for us today if the worship team come forward Righteousness and justice. These are the actions, the, the, the way of life, the rule of living that, that we in, get to embrace so that we can extend the heart of the Father to those around us. What does it look like to, to you today? What does it look like for us? Maybe you are the foreigner, you are the eunuch, not, maybe not physically, maybe not geographically, but you feel that way and, and you feel cut off from God. And I would encourage you if you're watching on Facebook, God's grace, God's invitation is for you. There is no people group on the earth, there is, there's not one person in humanity walking this planet that God's grace, God's invitation is not extended toward. God's inviting you to be a part of his covenant people. He's saying that your monument, your legacy, your name, it's not in what you produce, it's in what he extends toward you. The invitation into his house. That verse says about it's his walls, it's his house that the eunuch lives in. Your value comes from a place of finding his, you in his presence, of submitting to living in his presence. Maybe you are um, more of the justice and the righteousness, and and, and what that looks like for you is you get so easily angered and frustrated by things you don't like, by things you don't agree with. And so your form of righteousness, your form of, of justice is to be really hostile, to be really angry and to be mean and and to be direct and to punish and to and to isolate and i think what's beautiful about jesus coming into the temple was that he did not he did not cut off the pharisees he didn't destroy the pharisees he didn't cut off their worship but what he did in that moment he came and said hey your ways of buying your sacrifice I'm stopping that, and I'm bringing all the world in. Isn't that what Christ did on the cross? That when we try to buy our sacrifice, when we try to perform our sacrifice, when we try to earn our righteousness, it's really all about us in that moment. We're not thinking about anybody around us. We're not thinking about the Gentiles and those cut off. We're thinking about us. How do we save ourselves? And Jesus says, no, stop saving yourself. Let me save you, and then you invite the world into that place. Isn't that the gospel? That's the good news. And so, so what does that look like for you? Like if you? If there's something that you find is unjust, that there's acts of injustice or racism or inequality or oppression, then absolutely you should have a righteous anger in your heart, but don't sin in that process. Don't condemn, don't name call, don't belittle, don't isolate, invite God's peace God's wisdom, God's teaching into that space. Jesus came and he taught them in that space and he invited others in. I I wish that the church would get this. I wish that we would be a people who keep justice, that we do righteousness. The only way that I can do righteousness is because he has granted me righteousness and his grace, his righteousness over me. He's declared me as righteous, now I get to do that. What does that look like in this time? Maybe it is feeding your neighbors, asking them, checking in with them. Hey, do you need anything? Do, do, do you need encouragement? I bet some of your neighbors are pretty discouraged right now. Maybe there's self-employed people or, or waiters and waitresses who, who need some t- uh, tip money and they, they haven't had an income. And maybe the this, this system with the government's trying to, to stimulate the economy. Maybe it's not working for them, I don't know. Um, and maybe you can call your neighbors and say, hey, what do you need? Maybe it's a family member that you haven't talked to in a while and maybe you just need need an ear to listen to their brokenness and you can speak the truth of the gospel into that moment. Justice and righteousness aren't something that I struggle for myself. It's a state of living in his Sabbath, living in his grace that I get to keep and I get to model. I'm not saying I do it perfectly. Please don't misunderstand me. My wife is a constant encouragement to love my neighbors when I don't want to. To be gracious and peaceful with those who really offend me and anger me. And I, I would encourage you to let the Holy Spirit be a constant reminder. To let others in your life be a constant reminder that we can, we can be frustrated by where we're at right now, but we can do it in a way that we're not sinning. Instead, we're keeping justice and we're doing righteous. Righteousness. I hope that makes sense. To, this morning as we, as we cl- get ready to close, we're going to sing one last song called Waymaker. Um, last week we were planning on singing it and we didn't sing it and my daughter was super upset by it. It's such a powerful song that even children get the power of. That it's only in, in Christ, it's only in Him that we have a way, a path poured out for us. To, to be victorious, to be rescued, and to be inviting others into a place of worship. His house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples, all peoples. Our lives should display that. Our worship should display it. So would you sing wherever you're at in your home? Would you sing one more time as, as we look at the waymaker? as we look at the one who has poured out a path for us? He's declared us righteous and we get to do that. We get to keep that. Would you worship one more time with us?